Since you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, have you looked at yourself in the mirror and said, why did this happen to me? Well, you're not alone. I did too. But this is a time when you're given two choices. One, you let those four nasty words that you've been told, you have breast cancer, stop us from living. Or two, we can take what we've been given to us and use it as fuel on our path to healing, growth, self-discovery, and to bring out the best of us and become the hero of our journey while we get to inspire others to do the same. Join my inspiring guests and me on our mission to help women just like you with what we discovered on our hero's journey through breast cancer. This is a place where we share all the tools and knowledge we've learned to develop the courage, resilience, mindset and self-love needed to start living your full life like you might never have done before. I am Grace DeAngeli and I welcome you to Breast Cancer Hero's Journey Podcast. Welcome home. Welcome everyone. Welcome to today's episode. Today I'm super excited to be interviewing Junie Boucher. I hope I said her name right. Now Junie was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer at the age of 41 in 2019. After beating cancer, she decided to redesign her life. And it's crazy because we all do that. Uh, So I can't wait to touch on that. And now works with patients and survivors in her nutritional therapy practice. She's passionate advocate for helping women know their own options and to find peace and join their bodies again after the challenges of this cancer journey. Having said all of that, welcome, Junie. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Grace. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Now, you were, you were like me. Um, you were diagnosed with stage one breast cancer. So was I. Um, now, tell us the story. So 2019 was a routine check. Take us through your story. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, where, where I live here in the States, they recommend starting mammograms at 40. I did my mammogram. However, I have dense breast tissue. They didn't detect anything. And so I was um, walking my dog in early morning. I was kind of running late for work and I just was walking her around my little apartment. Um, I happened to put my hand up to my chest. I didn't have a bra on at the time. I was, and, uh, and I noticed a lump. I called my doctor right away. They were able to get me in that day. And because of my age and because I had had a clear mammogram, they didn't, she didn't think it was likely anything, but she said, I'm going to send you for testing uh, just to be sure. I had an ultrasound set up and, you know, I, this is something I like to tell when I tell this story is that I had kind of gone through, it wasn't like an argument with my partner at the time, but uh, he wanted to come with me to that appointment, the ultrasound. And I said, you know, it's probably just a cyst. That's what everybody keeps saying. It'll be fine. Don't miss work. Just don't even worry about it. He kept insisting that he come with me and I'm so glad that he did. And I, I really encourage other people to let their loved ones be a support, even Mm -hmm. sometimes when you don't think you're going to need it. Because at that appointment at the ultrasound, you know, I, the, the radiologist told me that not only had they, they, they saw two masses, they, they were 
quite sure it was breast cancer. And I was not prepared for that information whatsoever. And they sent me right into a biopsy immediately afterwards. And uh, I don't think I could have driven home that day if I was by myself. I think I, I was in so much shock and I was so emotional because I, I just you know, nobody's ever prepared to hear that, that, that those words. And I didn't even realize at the time that you could have a lot of assuredness that something was cancerous just by looking at the images on the ultrasound. Cause when I asked the radiologist, well, how do you know that without doing a biopsy? He said, you know, it looks a certain way. And I said, well, what's the percentage that you're confident this is breast cancer? And he said about 90%. So, wow. you know, that for me felt mm. like, oh, <laughs> okay. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, so then I went through the cancer process. I, you know, I started, I had already been a little bit health conscious prior, but I really tightened up my diet. I was doing a lot to take care of myself and manage the stress. Although, you know, every moment kind of became breath to breath, really. Uh, it, you can't, I wasn't ever feeling super grounded, uh, even despite my best efforts. And that's sort of something that you have to resign yourself to sometimes. Mm -hmm. But uh, once they got in, because they had estimated when they did the biopsy, they said they found two masses. They had, it was lobular and invasive ductal. Um, but once they actually did my surgery and I opted for a mastectomy, they only found one mass. It was way smaller and it was only one type of cancer. So I don't know what happened. Um, I mean, as apparently you can really only estimate what's going on. Um, but you know, I'm, I feel quite lucky that things went in another direction because they were preparing me to have to undergo through chemo. I even cut my hair very short just to my hair is a big part of my identity, my long hair. Mm. And, and they said, you know, cut your hair in stages. It'll be less of a shock. So I, I got a really short haircut and, um, you know, I, I was really prepared for everything. And then I ended up only doing the surgery. Um, they did the oncotype test on me and I determined I didn't need, or it wouldn't be of benefit because I had hormone positive breast cancer. And, um, they gave me a prescription for tamoxifen and kind of sent me on my way. And, you know, and now I am. Yeah. So here I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, first and foremost, yay um, to that. So since 2019, you're yeah. obviously being cleared every year since, or if you yeah. go every six months. Yeah. Um, I just want to go sort of back with that. So you said that you're, you've got, you got your ultrasound. So did they base your results just on an ultrasound? Did you have a mammogram? Did you have an MRI? Did you have any other scans? Um, they did, they did another mammogram. They, they did the biopsy. Um, they didn't do an MRI on me actually. Um, I'm not sure why some people, I mean, I, I guess, yeah, they didn't do that. Uh, I, I did have an MRI in my follow-up when I was working with an oncologist who was a little bit more, I guess, conservative, but yeah, I never had any scans like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's just interesting where you go, you know, some people go all out, yeah. some people don't. So I was quite interested to, to hear about that. Mm -hmm. So you do, you know, and obviously, um, 
your decision was to have a mastectomy done. Mm-hmm. Now, was that your decision or what, how, what was that based on? Yeah, my doctors were very open-minded uh, in terms of what they recommended. They didn't give me any real pressure to go in one direction or the other. But when I weighed the positives and negatives, to me, I felt like, I mean, at the time I was under the impression that I had two masses. They said I could do a lumpectomy. They felt like they could get all the cancer, but I felt like I would have more anxiety with mm. without them taking the whole breast, uh, which doesn't ne- isn't necessarily rooted in truth. I mean, they say like outcomes are pretty similar, but also I was thinking about it from a cosmetic perspective because I was a candidate for the nipple and skin sparing mastectomy with immediate reconstruction. So mm-hmm. I did that. I was able to wake up out of surgery with a breast mound that I felt for me would be one of the least traumatic options. And I also, a huge, huge factor in the choice to do that more invasive surgery was to avoid radiation. Because with the Mm. lumpectomy, as I'm sure your audience knows, you do radiation, that's sort of the standard of care. And I wanted to avoid that if possible, just Mm. because of, you know, side effects of radiation. So it felt to me like a good trade-off, but not everybody feels that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree because, you know, we're, we're here just sort of sharing our own stories, you mm-hmm. know, and, and one person can resonate with yours and one person can resonate with the next one. So yeah. that's why, because, you know, one thing I say all the time is not, we, yes, are we all diagnosed with the same, you know, label? Yes. Are we all going through the same one? Hell no. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> no. who you are. It could be 60 to 80% similar, but it's never the same. Yeah. Um, so that's why, you know, take that into account as well. Now, so you've had a reconstruction at the same time. So they've put mm-hmm. in your bre- like a breast as well, done yeah. the nipple and everything. So, <clears throat> um, so how did you feel like going forward? So what was the next step for you? So, mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've finished your operation. Mm-hmm. You're obviously healing from that. Um, did they take any lymph nodes out to test? Yes, they did. They took the, they took the sentinel node. Uh, they did a couple other additional lymph nodes. I was clear. Luckily they Mm. didn't, it hadn't spread to any of my lymph nodes and I was able to keep my own nipple too, which was kind of nice. Mm. So I, yeah, I never had that Barbie boob (laughs) that some women experience. Um, Although I will say, you know, I, there are are some really incredible nipple tattoo artists out there. I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, So if, you know, if I had lost my nipple, I, at least I know there was that option, but yeah, I was able to keep my own nipple, but no feeling in that breast, uh, which, you know, is, is another one of those things that when women are considering which surgery to do, you know, considering the fact that if you do the vasectomy, you lose all feeling because they're taking all that nerve tissue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. so true because people don't, um, you know, like we sort of tend to hear all the time, you know, these things, you know, my breast tried to kill me, mm-hmm. you know, slogans and things like that. And I think, yeah, it is. And and then when you remove them, you've got to remember you, you're you removing a part of your, it's like, it's like losing a limb in a way, losing it a is. finger, losing a toe, whatever. 
you're never going to, and you, and it's right. And it's, you're never going to have that feeling again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a big deal, you know, and I'm not mm-hmm. here to advocate either way because some women need to, and that's why I asked you if you needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people who are in the BRCA who then get diagnosed saying, cause it's a family history, it's genetic. Yeah. Um, they tend to go for the, you know, the hysterectomies and things like that. Um, so, you know, so you, you've come through that, that part of, and now you're, you know, you're going through your process, you're going through every day. So now you're going to your oncologist mm-hmm. and they haven't suggested radiation. They haven't suggested chemo. However, they've suggested tamoxifen for you. Mm-hmm. So yep. how's, so you're still on tamoxifen? I am no, I am not on tamoxifen. And this is a, a decision that, you know, I did put a lot of thought into, I've actually created a free resource for women because it's such a complicated decision. Um, I took the, tam- I, I tried to keep an open mind with tamoxifen, although I had done my research and I am of the school, you know, there's a lot of women who it's, it's better for them to just listen to their doctor and just do whatever their doctor says. And, and that is mm-hmm. certainly a respectable choice. I am, a little bit more skeptical. I tend to, I've always tended to be someone who experimented with alternative therapies and like to look at sort of a root cause approach. And so in my research with tamoxifen, I I was just very uncomfortable with what I saw. I had talked to a lot of other women who had various things to say, but I said, you know what? And I asked my oncologist, I said, for your patients that do well with tamoxifen, what are they doing? And she said, well, typically they're eating an anti-inflammatory diet. They're exercising. They're keeping their weight, you know, in a healthy range and all these things. So I said, okay, I'm going to do all of those things. Um, My medical facility gave me like a hundred pills that was, uh, and I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a hundred, a hundred pills and do all the things. And I had already been kind of doing those things. So Mm -hmm. I felt like I was in a really good position. I said, I'm going to keep an open mind. Um, and then I had, I felt like I had every single one of the side effects. So then this sent me, it was, it was very difficult and I am a really sort of, I've always been somebody who is a very happy person, no mood issues. I felt like full of rage all the time. I had a lot of irritability. It was, it was just difficult. And so that sent me into another phase of things where I started the conversation with my oncologist and I started the, I was also working with a naturopath at the time and doing my own research and doing my own internal exploration of things. So unfortunately with cancer treatment, it's not an exact science. We do have some statistics that will show you, okay, you know, this is the estimated um, benefit, but that's all relative. And for me personally, when I really kind of got down and looked at the statistics for my specific cancer, um, it was such a minimal benefit to me compared to the impact on my quality of life that I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work really hard on making sure to manage my stress, um, change my, redesign my life, eat and exercise and do all the things that will hopefully collect, uh, correct the, what I consider to be the root cause of my likely cancer, things that caused my cancer. 
and with, with a hormone driven cancer, it is safe to assume that you have unbalanced hormones or you're estrogen dominant. So what can I do to, to correct those things? And I made the tough decision to go against my doctor's advice. I was very open with my doctors, which is something I really encourage people to do and, you know, listen to their opinions. Um, my doctor, you know, she wasn't like, I don't love it, but I do understand where you're coming from. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you not to make that choice for yourself if that's what you feel is best. And I will say also, cause you know, this is something I, I was reluctant to talk about in publicly for a long time, but I've, I feel quite passionate about now is, you know, I also have this very intensive gut instinct that this was not, not right for me. And tamoxifen has benefits. I mean, it has, you know, risk factors involved with it too. And it, it is, it can cause other cancers. Um, you know, this decision is, is different for everyone and the benefits really are different for everyone. But for me personally, it's a decision that I decided to, um, I, I went, I've gone an alternative route. Yeah. Yay. Um, I'm nodding so much that my head's falling off because <laughs> you just, you just spoke the words out of my own mouth because mm. that's exactly what happened with me. Wow. Um, I, you know, with the, that's what, that was that word I was saying when I saw that word, I went, <gasps> um, okay. now the reason being is like yourself, a disclaimer, you know, they, we're talking about our own. Um, mm -hmm. What happened was when I got diagnosed, I also went and had, you know, I had just the limp lumpectomy done. Mm -hmm. I opted for that. And um, they sent me to a radiologist and the radiologist, the cons were higher than the pros. Again, I always say, listen, ask a billion questions. If this guy is a specialist in radiology, then he's got to be able or she's got to be able to answer every question. Same goes with your oncologist. Um, so I remember going to the oncologist and they weren't thinking of chemo as such, you know, the the actual, in, um, you know, intervene chemo, but they were talking to moxifen. And one thing I remember was because my mother passed away with cancer. Mm. My mother passed away with um, uteral cancer, mm. um, either cervical or uricle. I always say that I'm, gonna, I'm so sorry to my listeners because I know I say I'm going to find out for you and I never do. Um, <laughs> but I, I promise, I promise I will find out. Um, so it's either uteral or cervical cancer. And what happened was they put her on tamoxifen and then my sisters heard the doctors say, oh, well, that's what caused her secondary cancer in the breast. Mm. So I remember when I went to get, you know, go through this, all I remember is my older sister saying to me, Grace, don't take tamoxifen because that's how oh. mum got secondary cancer. So you can imagine, like you said, you know, you're yeah. at your oncologist and you're, you're explaining everything. And the benefits as well were too minimal for me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, but the, but the cons again or the side effects or other things were much higher. Again, this was my case. Yeah. Um, your doctor was amazing. My doctor, because I said to her, well, what am I? Other? I, got, I got diagnosed at the age of 47. Mm -hmm. So I said to the doctor, what are my other options? And she said, well, you can have a hysterectomy done, but then you're going to have to take hormone replacement tablets that could cause cancer. Then because you go into pre uh, to early menopause, that can cause heart failure. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, you're giving me like options that 
are getting worse. Yeah. And I said, look, you know what? I think I won't take them. And she looked at me and said, mind you, I waited four hours. I was the last patient in that whole, I call it, you know, a five-star hotel because it wasn't mm-hmm. a hospital because that's where the money goes, but that's my opinion. Um, but, you know, after four hours, uh, she says to me, get out of my office. I don't have time for you. <gasps> and, that, oh. and I thought to myself, is that because I didn't give in on your demand? Um, we're not here to say go against your doctor. Mm-mm. One thing, my friend, until this day I use it, He said, Grace, don't ever make a decision based on fear. Now, my doctor, I've been cancer-free as well. The last checkup I went to was September, I think it was September or August this year, August, September. And she's like, so you want tamoxifen? I'm like, have you been sleeping under a rock? I've been coming to you for four years. I said, no, I'm not. She's like, oh, yeah, nah, nah. I'm 51 now. I'll probably go into early menopause, so let it be, let mm-hmm. it be. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's not because I don't want it. It's because I don't want it because in your case and in my case, we could see the pros and cons. Yeah. And that's what we're saying. So I'm, uh, so that's why I was nodding my head. Cause I was like, Oh yes. Someone who asks questions, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I like that because like you said, there are those that if a doctor says, I need you to hop on one foot for the next 15 hours, they'll do it for 16 hours um, mm-hmm. without asking questions. And I think it's not, you know, the thing is they all have their best intention. You worked with them. That's yeah. my, my said to my doctor, don't work against me, work with me. Yeah. So, you know, um, so I really wanted to touch on that because I just thought, oh, my God, that is just, Yeah. Uh, it's not the fact that you didn't take the tamoxifen. It could have been any of the other ones. It was the fact that you did your research to find out what was great and what wasn't for your diagnosis, like mm-hmm. my own. Um, mm-hmm. But now you touched on also, which I was, I found that as well, um, that affected me. You know, your sex life. Let's mm-hmm. touch on that because yeah. I know of a lot of women who, don't want to have sex. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They feel turned off. I know I was one that I was, you know, and, and I'm, I'm very open on my podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm one who, or who sometimes I can go through months like a bunny and you'll be like, holy cow, Grace, just slow the hell down. <laughs> and then I can go through months where it's like, nah, 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 nah. You know, mm-hmm. um, my poor husband, um, I love him to death. <laughs> You know what I mean? But it's 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 like that. So let's touch on that because you, sure. you said you know how the libido affects your hormones. So mm-hmm. yeah, take it away. <clears throat> yeah. Um yeah, I mean I I first of all I, I just wanted to say I'm so sorry that you had that experience with your doctor. And I hear that so much and it it upsets me. It upsets mm. me that doctors I I don't understand. I mean, I hear people all the time I got yelled at, like what in the world. Um, anyway, (laughs) but, um, so, so in terms of, yeah, I mean, there are, so certain drugs, tamoxifen or 
you know, some women who take tamoxifen have really intensive hot flashes. And one of the ways that doctors will address that issue is to prescribe an antidepressant called Effexor, which is has a side effect of helping with hot flashes. A lot of antidepressants can actually cause an impact to libido. So there's a lot of medications. Plus, if you're experiencing a major decline in the way that your body is is dealing with estrogen, you know, just like as a natural progression in our hormonal cycles through life as as women, there can be a natural decline. And, you know, something to note of just what you were saying, you know, like you have moments or months where you're feeling really high libido and months where you're feeling low. And that's, you know, sexuality is a, is about energetic flow as much mm. as it is about hormonal, hormonal mm-hmm. balance. But mm-hmm. if you have no libido, that can be an indicator that you're out of balance. And a mm. lot of the time it, what I see in my practice is it comes down to stress Um whether that stress is just uh, because you're not eating a balanced diet and your blood sugar is all over the place, your body's in a chronic state of stress or like stress that you could see and outside externally that's going on. That's maybe affecting your sleep, all these different things. I mean, stress is the number one killer of libido, but Mm -hmm. if you, if you don't feel good in your skin, if you don't feel like you have energy, if, if your mood is unstable, of course you're not going to feel libido. And libido is a good indicator of your overall state of health and vitality. Mm-hmm. Now, I always like to say that if you're a woman who has no interest in sex, like, I mean, sexuality is a spectrum. And, it, you know, there are people who identify as asexual, and there's nothing wrong with that if that is your choice. But if you are missing that element mm-hmm. of your life, or you want to bring that back into your relationship, or just you as a person, there are options. And that's what I think is super important to talk about because a lot of women give up hope. Sometimes as, as, um, you know, if estrogen levels decline, you start to see some atrophy of those tissues, which might make intercourse painful for some women. You know, if you're experiencing actual pain during intercourse, of course, that's going to be very off-putting. Then that gets in your head. So there are things that you can do with, you know, whether it's a pelvic floor physical therapist Mm -hmm. or, you know, self-massage. Um, different types of vaginal moisturization, working on hormone balance, stuff like that. And mindfulness is actually a very powerful tool as well that has been shown to help women. Uh, And there have been studies done on women who've had gynecological cancers that have caused either lack of desire, painful painful, uh, intercourse, different things like that. so there is hope and that's what I like to let people yeah. know. Mm, absolutely. And I agree with you because, you know, it does because, uh, you know, uh, you hear of these and I call them sad stories where women don't um, don't have the drive anymore. They don't understand mm-hmm. why. They just don't un- they have the drive. They they believe, okay, because I went through the cancer and everything. Some some women, it's because they've had the mastectomy. Some women, it's because they've had the chemo, radiation, whatever it may be, and they sort of don't look into the whole thing. And then I, I hear stories of um, either men saying, well, you can't give me what I want, so I'm just going to have something on the side, 
or women encouraging their partners to go out and get it from someone else. And I'm thinking, look, I'm one to believe, um, you know, and it, it could be my own opinion, but I'm one to believe that cancer is also part of a dis-ease. So imagine you're you're recovering from a cancer, but now you've got your partner who you're not connecting with, who may be sleeping with someone else. Tell me that's not going to psychologically, spiritually you know, affect you. You know what I mean? And then physically it ends up causing more issues because you're suppressing that emotion. You're suppressing it. Yes, I'm not here to say like, you know, someone could be listening or watching thinking, no, 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 I'm actually really okay about it. Are you really okay? Because if that's the case, maybe you had an open marriage in the first place or an open relationship in the first place. But if you don't have that and you then mm-hmm. introduce that, I don't know. I think it's going to cause a little bit of, you know, discomfort in your in your soul, in your system that can I mean, cause other issues. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree. I love that. I feel like we're really aligned in just terms of like, you know, cancer is can be a bigger issue and and I'll, I am a firm believer in the relationship between emotions, a trauma history and breast cancer. Um, you know, but yeah, I absolutely, I, I, I actually hear that a lot and I work, um, I'm the nutrition professional with the, uh, Rose city sexual health collective here in Portland, Oregon. And, um, one of our therapists actually specializes in helping couples navigate an open relationship. And they call it ethical non-monogamy. And yeah, I, I do think there is some, some people can make that work for them, but it's usually going to take, it's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of um, communication and it can be difficult to navigate without, um, you know, some, some hurt feelings or bruised egos and jealousy. But at the same time, yeah, there's this anxiety that so many people experience, whether it, you know, anywhere from, are are you having erectile dysfunction or are Mm. you having so much pain during intercourse that you feel like your partner's going to leave you? And, you know, and obviously we want to believe that our partners are going to stand by us through anything, but sexuality is a big part of a romantic relationship. And mm-hmm. I, I firmly believe that, you know, that can be very painful for both parties. If you don't feel wanted or like your partner enjoys being intimate with you mm-hmm. again, there are, there are ways to support, you know, therapy I think is, is really important. And, Again, I am, um, you know, there's a, a, a researcher, her name is Lori Brado, who works in British Columbia, who this is a big part of her work uh, with women and helping cultivate desire, helping them change their relationship to pain, helping them minimize the anxiety of because that can make it worse. Right. If you're mm-hmm. thinking, oh, my gosh, if I don't perform, my partner's going to leave me and you have this anxiety and that's a thought. Um, cause even, even if your partner's sitting there saying, no, I love you. I, I I'll be patient through this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it would be almost impossible not to have that thought. So how do you detach from that thought long enough to be present? 
and, um, and really, and then how do you explore other avenues of intimacy? Because intimacy does not have to necessarily equate intercourse um, mm, and mm. connecting with your partner Absolutely. or can, can involve so many different things that can be very pleasurable. And I think it's also important to touch on the fact that if you, you know, a relationship that goes through a cancer journey, you do make a switch from romantic partner to patient and caretaker. How do you navigate coming back to mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. former thing mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. resolving your new normal. There's just so mm. much, which is why Absolutely. my practice has kind of gone a certain direction of like, I want to help people navigate this other side of things. And I do it. I, you know, I, I have my arena that I work in with the nutritional therapy and the mindfulness, but I do work in conjunction with a, a, a bunch of other holistic practitioners who are either doing the cognitive behavioral therapy, talk mm -hmm. therapy, or, you know, the pelvic floor therapist or acupuncturist. We, we do things collectively to help people get through and, and really find solutions, but it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily an easy undertaking, but if you open your mind to it, the most beautiful thing is that you can emerge on the other side even better than you were before. And I, yeah. I believe that's where I am. I, I really feel like my, my health, my vitality, my joy for life is exponentially greater on this side because I've been doing the work and the work never ends. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I know what you're saying because, you know, it's like, it, it's funny. Cause like you said, you know, in the beginning, how I, I read that you redesign your life, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, it's, you know, I always, uh, you know, and people sort of look at me, how's it a blessing? I always say for me, breast cancer was a blessing because it did. It re it allowed me to control, alt, delete and start again, yeah. um, get rid of things that were no longer serving me. And I, and when I say that, I'm not talking about like, you know, you just wake up one morning and go, you, I don't love you anymore. Get out. You, I don't want this shot. It's not that. It's just knowing it, it was your environment. It's your yeah. home. It's your, it's, it's not it's not only what you're putting in it's what you're surrounding yourself with you know like the moment you walk at the door you know if you're hesitant to open your front door why that's yeah. your safe haven you know so it was a lot of things that and I and I had to touch on that because you said you know you you are much better on this side and I think I am as well um you know I say to people because I used to be a people pleaser you know I used to yes 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 be stepped on and now, I don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I did have to learn how to put my blowtorch away. You know, I, I'm a sort of person who will incinerate you and then ask questions. So I, I didn't, I didn't get rid of it. It's just there, but it's on low. Mm -hmm. um, but I had to readjust all of that because now instead of saying yes, and then, rah, you know, um, I learned to say no, which was yes to myself. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that. But going yeah. back to the women, because, you know, I, I remember interviewing one girl. Um, she was young. She was younger than both of us. I think she was 37, 35, 37. She had a double mastectomy. 
And she said, Grace, I now have these aliens in me, Mm. you know. Um, Now, I don't know what that feels like to have, you know, um, breast implants. Um, So she said to me, they were aliens, Grace. And she said, and I don't know what to do in the sense she was in a um, a gay relationship as well. Mm-hmm. And you would think, and I'm not being, a, you know, I'm not a pro here, I'm not lesbian <clears> myself, <throat> but you would think a woman would know how to, you know, uh, understand another woman in, in sexual, you know, to have sex with and things, you know. Um, but she said, Grace, I don't even know how I can be with my partner. And it's one mm. thing the doctors don't teach you. They just go, yep, you're good to go. You're all good. You're cancer free. See you later. Have a great life. And she said, and now I look at myself and go, what the hell are these things? Because like you said before, you have no sensation. You have no feel of it. Um, So there are women who either have breast implants or they've opted for the flat chest, which is great too. Either or. It's fantastic. Yeah. But what about that side, the intimate side? You know what I mean? Like it's great and all like, you know, God forbid, like I will never, ever want them. But if I was, you know, able, my husband would never let me. um, But if I was able to get nice breasts lifted up, because sometimes I feel like they're down to my knees, (laughs) um, things like that, I'd be showing them off to the world. But that's an, that's a, how do you say it? That's a that's a, a physical aspect. It's not a it's not a psychological and it's not an intimate side. Mm-hmm. So what about women like that? <clears throat> women who either have had implants, uh, double mastectomies, or have decided flat chested. Have you come across women like that that you help? Uh yeah. I mean, it's 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 such an interesting journey you know, that decision and and how you want to do it. Are you, you know, are you a candidate for an immediate reconstruction or do you have Mm. to go through the process of the expanders being placed, which a lot of women say is more painful than the mastectomy surgery. I mean, they, they categorize a mastectomy as a pretty relatively painless surgery, which to me kind of blows my mind. I'm like, that was not Mm. painless, but you know, because they are taking all that nerve tissue, they're like, the pain is relatively low. Um, but yeah, I think, I think one thing to touch on this subject is, you know, I'd be curious with this woman that you talked to, if she felt like her surgeons really gave her all of her options. I think it's so important. and, And one of the reasons why, you know, with, why I started my podcast was like, I don't feel like I was ever really told that if I didn't want implants, I didn't have to have them. You know, the, the whole movement of the aesthetic flat closure is really big. And I know a lot of women who really own it, own their flatness, own maybe their, uh, asymmetrical, uh, bodies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. You know, for me personally, I never had the, my surgery recommendation was to have this immediate reconstruction and then eventually have a lift on the other side so that the, a breast matching surgery, I decided not to do the other breast just because I, I don't know. I just wanted to be natural. I didn't want to mess with it. Ultimately, the plastic surgeon said, yeah, you can have this surgery, but you're essentially trading symmetry scars for symmetry. Mm. And I said, Oh, that doesn't, 
<laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and after losing the, the sensation in this breast, I, you know, and seeing how that kind of affected my sex life, I said, I, yeah, I think I just want to leave that one as is. I mean, but that brings up a whole other thing that I've been really vocal about in the community. And, um, I've actually, I published, I had an essay published, um, about my experiences with dating, uh, and how do Ooh. I, because there's a conversation that has to happen. I was in a relationship at the time that I went through cancer, but that was something that at the end of the day, when I was redesigning my life again, this was a perfectly wonderful person, but mm. I knew I wasn't really where I wanted to be. And, and I made a very difficult decision to leave that relationship. And I've been single, um, you know, I've dated, but like I, 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 I'm not married and that's, so I'm navigating the world of dating and, and there is a conversation that needs to be had <laughs> before I mm. get intimate with somebody because mm. the, the worst thing to me, my worst nightmare is I don't tell somebody, you know, what's going on and they, I see some, like I see something on their face or they have a reaction, which I wouldn't. I feel like there, yeah, there, there's clearly a difference between what my breasts look like and what natural breasts would look like because one is not natural and one is. Mm. So, um, yeah, and I've been lucky enough. I mean, I, I am, I feel like I have decent taste in men and I'm not going to date somebody that I don't think would, would be encouraging or, or supportive of my mm. situation. I do feel like American culture is good about supporting the cancer community and making them feel empowered. And so many people have been touched by breast cancer that it's not like such a foreign thing, mm. sadly mm. to, to mm. most people, but yeah, I mean, there have definitely been, I've, I've been really happy with, uh, you know, I give, I give props to the men that I've dated and their reactions and the way that they've handled that conversation, because I had a lot of anxiety about mm. it at first and, you know, um, so far, so good. <laughs> yeah. I, I I actually remember just touching on that. I remember saying to my husband, because, you know, we, we we speak openly about things, and I said, you know, imagine um, because, you know, as I said, I've, I know so many women who have had, you know, one or both taken and things like mm -hmm. that. And I said to my husband, imagine, you know, having to a woman having to date um, and, you know, having one breast, they haven't had a reconstruction. And I remember my husband saying, "Well, it'll it'll be um it'll be a new adventure mm. for the guy." And I yeah. thought, "Yeah." And I thought, "Really?" And he goes, "Yeah, it'll be something like, wow, this is different." <laughs> but not, he never said it in a. Yeah. And I, I I I was really proud of him, and not because he's my husband, but I was proud of him as a man yeah. to say that because he didn't have to. He could have gone, "Oh God, no, no, no." Instead, yeah. he went, "Nah." He goes, "It'll be really." He goes, it'll be adventure. It'll be something different. It'll be yeah. awesome. And yeah. I thought to myself, that could have been me. You know, mm -hmm. that could have been me um, had things turned out, you know, where I had to. So, yeah, like dating, you know, um, and, and, and like you said, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, it, we're in a society which is great that we can be open, but you still have to be mindful 
because like you said, you could be open. I've seen people where they do social experiments of, you know, they meet someone and they catch them at the, uh, you know, at a cafe, they catch up with them and the woman's in a wheelchair and they walk away, yeah. things like that. And, you know, and it, and it's like, well, hang on a minute. This is real as well. Not everyone sweeps the girl off the wheelchair and lives happily ever after. So we're speaking about this because this is something that a lot of women, it's not, you do not choose this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's not like you said, it's not, um, it's not like plastic surgery where they go, would you like your breast or would you like them removed? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, so, um, so I, I take my hat off to the guys you're dating and to yourself, like you said, because, you know, that's, you know, having that conversation and not knowing how are they going to react. Um, but has it been more the more the positive reaction than the negative? Oh, yeah. I've, I've never had a, a negative reaction. And, you know, I am now I am a very open person. Um I know that other personality types might really struggle to get to that point of feeling mm-hmm. safe enough to disclose that information. And when I talk about this to other people, I, I usually say, yeah, you know, like um, take it at your timeline. But I just mm-hmm. never wanted to have somebody be surprised. <laughs> but I yeah, love cool. I love that your husband said said what he said, because I, I will tell you that was, you know, the first man that I dated. Uh, that I, I, you know, had to have that conversation with. He was, you know, perfectly supportive. And then when, when things happened, I mean, we dated for a number of months and at one point he said to me, I actually really love that you have two different breasts. Like he, he, he found it very interesting and sort of novel. Um, (laughs) and, and I was like, I was so surprised by that. I mean, I honestly, I just want someone who, I mean, I think, the standard reaction is some form of, well, I, you know, I think you're beautiful and sexy uh, regardless, you know, and, and that's not going to change because of this, but you know, I mean, that's, that's a perfect response, <laughs> but really yeah. like, you know, what, what is your body going to, what, how is your body going to react you know, but in general, and I've actually been on podcasts with men and I, you know, I like to talk to men about this. I think it's an important conversation to have to, because they don't necessarily know, like what, do, what does feel supportive to a woman who's in that scenario? And, uh, you know, and most men tell me, you know, most, you know, straight guys, they just like boobs. They just, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so, and yeah. And if you've built, some kind of relationship with somebody, hopefully they're going to see you as more than just your, your physical being. And it's going to be the entire package Mm -hmm. that creates your level Mm -hmm. of attractiveness to them. So I I have never had a negative reaction, thank goodness. And it's not like I've been dating tons of people. So I don't have this Mm -hmm. conversation with a ton of men, but I I have dated, you know, a handful of guys and they've all Mm -hmm. been great. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I'm a lover of men. I think men are Oh, there are so many good guys out there. Um, you know, there's definitely, I'm sure there are plenty of men that would have a negative reaction, but they're just not the type of person I'm attracted to. So it's a good litmus yeah. test. I mean, I, I always figure mm. if somebody were to have a bad reaction, I would know very easily like, okay, this is not somebody that I want to date. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Because, the, but you know, the, the, you know, when I look at my relationship, I mean, I'm married, you know, and yeah. when you take your vows, it's good times and bad times in sickness and in health. God forbid anything could happen to us. Does that mean I just turn up and go, oh, well, you don't have what you used to have. See ya. You yeah. know, things like that. Um, but it's it's the same with the relationship because when you were just talking, I, I was also thinking, you know, yes, men are boob men. You know, they, they generally are, yeah, I'm a boob man, you know. But there's there's men that are like, oh, I'm an ass man, you know. Oh, for sure. Um, and things like that. Now, if a man was genuinely into you, he couldn't care if you had a third nipple on your shoulder, you know, <laughs> in that sense. You know, it's like, yeah. what? Is there, you know, because they just want to be intimate with you. What mm-hmm. the, what a man's role is or what they want to when, when it comes to sex is they want to make sure that they satisfy you, that mm-hmm. you're getting all the goodies. So <laughs> they're not looking at all the bad stuff. They're looking like, I just want to blow this chick's mind, you know, um, and things like that. So, you know, and, and going back to flat chest, you know, there are so many women. I know one I'm not sure if you've heard of her. She she's now a Victoria's Secret model. Really? Oh, that's um, awesome. She's amazing. She's amazing. Her name's Christine Handy. Um, she's out from she's out of Florida. Amazing. Um, she's an advocate for flat chest. She's yeah. done runways. She's done the Fashion Week. I think she did New York Fashion Week just recently as well. It's her second year. So. These are the people, like when we go back to, and I know we're just sort of touching it, it's because this is part of the conversation people don't have. Yeah. Like we're saying, you've had the physical side of you done, mm-hmm. you know, as in like you've had your breasts taken, whatever, but what about everything else that comes with it? Yeah. Um, now, one of the other things you, you know, I wanted to ask is, um, you know, so, you, we say that you're going to be trauma. We spoke about trauma. Um, I believe in my hallucination, in my, you know, journey, um, my trauma contributed to my breast cancer. Yeah. So um, I went through childhood trauma, things like that. So I, yes, was I surprised? Yeah. Was I surprised? No. So that's what I always say, um, you know, in that sense. But, you know, when you when you can flick that switch and realise being mindful, be mindful of your cancer diagnosis where it's brought you here for a reason. Yeah. So what is your take on that? When you think about, mm-hmm. right, you know, this has happened for me to be mindful Mm-hmm. What did you take out of that? Yeah, and you know, I love that you're you want to talk about this because it, I it's a it's very fascinating to me. I um I've really gone deep down the rabbit hole of this, mm-hmm. and um and there have actually been scientific studies that have shown that most a lot of women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer have uh, a significant emotional trauma in their history, and a lot of times it, it involves divorce. Um, for me, that was the case. I had a very traumatic divorce um, about three years prior. And mm. almost every one of my clients, you know, whether it was divorce or s- just something that created heartache. And I was reading, um, I was reading something the other day, I don't remember what, but it was like, if you think about 
and if you, I mean, if you really kind of get it a little bit woo woo about this, think about like <laughs> the, the, the breasts, they are kind of like a chamber for your, the motions of the heart. And so, you know, if you have this just incredible heartache, um, I know in Chinese medicine, like grief is held in the lungs, but if you think yes. about like the female, female heartbreak, um, and, and the breasts being these, you know, almost like a, a resonant bells of, of chambers for your emotions. That makes a lot of sense that, that you would be affected or, or stripped of this like female organ that you have mm. when your, you know, heart is really ripped out. But, you know, uh, the, the whole thing about the history of, of trauma and childhood, you know, that is a big factor. And, it's so difficult because a lot of people can agree with this concept, but what do you do about it? You know, like, mm. and that, so I think, yeah, that's, of course. you know, like that it's easy to be like, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Stress. And that the, my history, it probably got trapped in my body somehow. How do we work with that? And, and that's such a, a journey in itself. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are things like emotional freedom technique, the uh, tapping. Have you heard of tapping? Yes, 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 you know, yes. that that can be mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. powerful. Uh, mindfulness, therapy, journaling, really learning how to sit with and release emotions. If you're a, a religious or spiritual person, you know, maybe you take that into your religion and, and ask your you know, ask your God to, to, mm. to alleviate you of that. Um, ask forgiveness is a huge mm. thing. You know, when you think, when you read about cancer and emotions that are associated with cancer, there's bitterness, emotions of helplessness or hopelessness, yep. um, yep. you know, non-forgiving, you know, not forgiving those who have wronged you. And I think it's important to note that forgiveness is really about you. It's not really, you know, it's not condoning somebody who may have really betrayed you. It's about you yeah. giving yourself the freedom from, from that pain because yeah. yeah, revenge. I think there's a, there's a great quote about revenge is like, it's like taking poison and mm -hmm. expecting and it to someone else dies. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I mm -hmm. love this topic and I mm. think it's, you know, that's why I, I've read a lot of books on this and, and um, it's such a vast subject, but it's why getting in touch with your feelings, looking at your history of trauma and yeah. then really finding where can I forgive and mm -hmm. where can I mm -hmm. let go? And, um, you know, trying to do that work to, to find your freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm in the, I'm in the process of just publishing a journal and one of the pages is about forgiveness. Mm. So, you know, I'm not writing a whole book about it, but it's just it, like you said, and it's not forgiving the other person as such, it's forgiving yourself. You know, when I talk about my childhood trauma, I was a child of um, physical abuse. My mm. father used to physically abuse me. Mm. And um, so I forgave myself first and then I forgave him. So, um, and to the point where he passed away 
this year, but I was, I'm at peace with everything. And it is about that. It's finding, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not about, oh, here it is. It's, you know, now what do I do? And you don't know what to do with it because that's Mm. worse. (laughs) Because what happens if you bring it up and then you go, what do I do now? What do we tend to do? We tend to suppress it even more. So uh, it's obviously finding you know, finding resources, tools to help you, you know, find what is it? How do I deal with this? You know, things like that. And like you mentioned, there's so many different tools and resources to help you with that, whether mm-hmm. it's speaking, whether it's tapping, whether it's, I did um, Vipassana, which is a mindful meditation mm-hmm. of 14 or 16 days, I can't remember, of silent meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never meditated in my life oh, wow. and I did it. So, jump yeah, in pretty, you know, to the deep but end. There's a lot of stuff that came up. <laughs> sure. Um, and obviously, if you know what to do with that, in my case, I came home, thank goodness. When I say thank goodness, my husband's a life coach. Um, oh. So I came home with a bag of BS and I basically said, What do I do? And I unpacked that bag one by one, one by one. And he just sat there, he held space. Mm. Um, Another thing that I did was I, I obviously went over to Peru. I did medicine work with shamanic medicine. That also helped me bring up a lot of, because a lot of people think when I say that it helped me on my breast cancer journey, um, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, that's what made my cancer go because when mm-hmm. I got operated, they couldn't find it. Um, but it's, I think it was a matter of everything. And one of them was definitely, definitely the emotional side. Yeah. The psychological side. And I always say that if you don't if you don't fix the heart and the mind, it doesn't matter what you do, it'll come back. Yeah. Um, I truly believe that. I truly, truly believe that. Um, so when when people are just when women are just being diagnosed, because like we're saying, we're both see, isn't it crazy? We're both yeah. I was going to say first time is God forbid. We don't want to be second times or third times. Uh, we're both, um, you know, um, diagnosed with, you know, what do you call um, Early stage. Stage one. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But we're different paths. We're different journeys mm-hmm. and things like that. So what are the five things that you um, want others to know going through a cancer treatment? Yeah. I mean, we've touched on so many of these things and um, – yeah, I'm fascinated that I've actually never met anybody who had kind of a similar experience where, mm. uh, you know, it was way less than what was going on. And and yeah, I, I think there are a lot of stories about radical remissions, mm. you know, when people do emotional work or, or deal with trauma. But I mean, so I, I touched on this before, like, you know, allow your, your support system to support you, uh, whether that means if you have a partner who's going to come to, uh, an early appointment with you or any appointment with you, mm-hmm. always having somebody there. That's, that's great. Um, find a way to manage the stress because your body is being depleted of so many nutrients, just dealing with the overwhelm of the cancer experience and you need more nutrients to heal uh, and, mm-hmm. and just manage that stress. So adopting some type of mindfulness or stress management, uh, whether that's exercising yoga, um, doing something creative, um, meditation obviously is, is really, really helpful. 
And that's a big thing for me. Um, fueling your body is in, yeah. is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'm a nutrition person, obviously. So, you know, you, but a lot of people I've seen with a lot of my clients, they just completely lose their appetite and they don't know how to eat. Or their doctor, which this kind of drives me nuts, their doctor just says, oh, eat whatever you want. Um, just don't lose any weight. And it's like, uh, wow. that's not, that's terrible advice. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I, people get very sensitive about this. So, you know, food is incredibly personal and emotional, but I mean, you need more protein to heal. You yeah. need nutrient density at, at this time in your life. It is, it is a major time in your life and you can emerge from a cancer diagnosis better than more stronger than before uh, in all senses mm -hmm. of the word if you like pick up some good habits now that being yeah. said the stress of the whole experience can be very overwhelming for people so don't beat yourself up but you know get the support that you need or mm -hmm. you know, let people when people say what can i do to help you know, if you are trying to follow a nutritious protocol, you give them recipes. People are dying to help you. They just don't necessarily yeah. know what to do. And Absolutely. I mean, and so, yeah, I like to say, cause I love to cook and obviously I'm very passionate about food is like, are you following a certain protocol? Like, let me make mm. that you can freeze and put in the oven. And then that way, when you come home from surgery, you have food, your caretaker isn't overwhelmed, like waiting on your hand and foot, you know, yeah. Like things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And then just, you know, I, I also encourage women to really, well, to give themselves a break, <laughs> you know, if possible. I mean, not everybody has the ability to take time off of work, but there is a lot out there. I mean, I went on medical disability. I had no idea what that was. It was very confusing, but mm. I also you know, I was like, I am not going to try to be some kind of multitasking hero right now. I, I, and I was able to look up resources and, and go on medical disability and really spend time like focusing on my recovery. And I think that was really important to like, it, it really helped me heal quite quickly. And, um, and take care of myself well. So I think that's five things, but you know, we could go on forever. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's so many, there's so many things. And then, you know, mm. once you do end treatment, a lot of women feel really lost and there's uh, a lot of conflicting information out there. So, you know, join a support group there. Are, I do a lot of I do workshops for organizations, but I also work with clients one-on-one. -on -one. Like if you want to create a plan, know that you can, you can really make changes that are going to affect every part of your life and maybe yeah. even make your life feel more fantastic than it ever did because you've, you've got, you've kind of, you're over this people pleasing mm -hmm. a lot of the times you, you realize, Hey, life is short. And if I don't, you know, my whole theory was I don't want to do things I don't want to do. I mean, adulting is, you know, yeah. I mean, you don't really have a choice, <laughs> but, but Hey, I get to choose. Yeah. I kind of, you get to choose your destiny. You can, Absolutely. if you're willing to, to take a chance, you can make extreme changes in your life. And, and, um, and it feels really great when you feel aligned mm, Absolutely. And I agree with everything you said, because 
you know, it's the thing is this is I always say to people when COVID happened, um, I always said to people, use this as being diagnosed, people, detox, detox your environment, detox your community, detox the things around you, just cleanse everything that no longer serve you. Yeah, I said, use it like your own diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people are like, I don't know what you mean by that. And it's like, well, I had to get the bat. You don't have to get the bat. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, and it was, you know, learning how to re, you know, it's like it's whether you believe in whoever you believe in, you know, great spirit, God, whoever, it's like he's saying to you, you're not living your authentic self. I put you on this earth for you to live the most amazing version of yourself and you're not doing it you're gonna and they give you the feather and you're like get the feather out of my face I can't (laughs) and it's like but I'm here to remind you um and I always say that as well whether you're being diagnosed with stage one or stage four you have the chance to re I know personally know someone I've known Antonella I would well my sister actually told me that she was married 31 years so I've known this lady probably 35 years um she went through stage four aggressive breast cancer mm-hmm. she's with us today Amazing. so don't ever feel like it's a death sentence because it's not don't yeah. let it define you it's yeah. not who you are I used to say to people I carry it around like an old handbag. You're coming with me. I'm yeah. not going to stop living. Um, now, you said that you've got some tools and resources. Um, I really want to touch on uh, your podcast. Ta-da! Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love yes. that. Uh, you yeah. know. <laughs> I hope the doctor didn't say it like that to you. Ta-da, it's cancer. Oh no, it's Tata cancer. So oh, Tata. Tata, so Tata, oh, like Tata. like Tatas, Tata. but Tata, yeah, yeah, Tata. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a dog cancer. Oh, how sense. funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Was the other one. No, no, no. That makes more sense. Like, yes, yes, yeah. But also, Um, but also, that's you know, slang for breasts. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. tatas, tatas. Yeah. So, yeah. So crazy. (laughs) So I I forgot my English. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we have you know every every culture has their weird slang. So, um, but I was thinking like, ta-da. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Oh my gosh. That's, that's hilarious. Um, but people can, can come and uh, listen Mm -hmm. to you on your podcast. Mm -hmm. So Tata Cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, and also you mentioned that you had some workbooks and workshops, Mm -hmm. um, self-love dance party lists, uh, Mm -hmm. which I thought was great. Dancing. (laughs) Yes. Dancing. It's uh, again, it's, I know it sounds like a cliche, but in my journal, I've got dance yeah like no one's watching I've yeah. got all these things in it um so what else did you want to share with our listeners and our viewers today yeah I mean the the so I've got on my website juniebewell.com there are there's a freebies tab and you can access all these things there's the tamoxifen facts and feelings workshop so if you're struggling with tamoxifen how do you kind of calculate what the benefits are and how do you discuss it with your doctor how what are the questions that are important to ask you so it's like a, a workbook um the self dance the self-love dance party playlist it uses a technique called habit stacking that I think is great where um basically like 
you know, dancing, you know, exercise is, is very good for any breast cancer patient or survivor. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're about to go into surgery, movement is so important for you and your lymph system, yeah. it's going to help you heal better, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. also exercise is shown to reduce your risk of recurrence. So, um, here is a, a playlist that's going to help. It's got all these songs that I personally picked that make me feel really kind of you know, they're the songs that you can't not dance to, but they also yeah. kind of pump you up. So it's something where I'm like, you know, use this with your support group. Maybe if you're having like a, a party or just if you are running, you're doing uh, chores around the house, you don't have to use it for a dance party. You can, I have a friend that doesn't have breast cancer. Who's like, Oh, I use this to run to. It's just like a great yeah. thing. And then I have uh, uh, my last resource I'll mention is uh, my breast cancer grounding kit. These are all mm -hmm. free. And that's basically for, you know, those early days when you're just mm -hmm. so overwhelmed and you're in shock. Uh, it's got a recipe that um, it was perfect for the seasons right now, fall and winter. Uh, that's all of these ingredients that are shown to help with grounding and healing. It's also got journal prompts so you can kind of you know, ground yourself and sit with the emotions that you're going through. And it's got a guided meditation that's specifically about yeah. helping you feel supported during this particular time of the cancer journey. And uh, yeah, anybody can access those and people can write to me. Um, there's a contact form there or yeah, if you listen to the podcast, my podcast is kind of focused on women diagnosed under 50. Uh, so because I feel like there is a specific mm -hmm. set of issues that, that, you know, people are dealing with in that phase of life, but it's also an exploration of what does it mean to heal? So, uh, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically, what does it mean? And I bring in a lot of other people on the podcast, you know, I'd love to have you on and, uh, talk about your journey and your experience and, um, you know, just sharing wisdom and, and, you know, not everybody is a breast cancer survivor. Some people are just practitioners that are working in modalities that I think would be really beneficial for, for, um, people to, to explore. Yes. And I love that. And this is why I love interviewing people like yourself, because I love thinking outside the box. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. I, I always say to people, I'm not here to tell you, I will never tell you what to do. The one yeah. thing I will ask of you is, open your eyes and think outside the box. That is yes. all I ask. Yes. Um, if something doesn't work, great. Try something else. If that doesn't work, great. Try something else. Yeah. Don't think you're limited. Um, and that's why I love having people like you because this is another part. This is this is so many tools that you can put together. Like you said, you know, that's, yeah. this is now someone who's sitting here who says, Grace, I don't resonate with you. I'm sorry because mm -hmm. um, you didn't have your breasts removed or whatever it may be. Uh, but I resonate with Junie now. So, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So I really, really yeah. appreciate you having on my show. Um, so is there anything else before we wrap it up? No, but yeah, I, I, I love that. I think we're very similar and very aligned and, you know, I'm just somebody that, yeah, I was like, I ask questions, I think outside of the box and, and my, yeah, I just want people to have information because I can't make your own, make your decision. And I'm not trying to push any, any yeah. philosophies on you, but, but have all the information in front of you so that you make the decision that you feel best with, because cancer is, and the decisions that come up during a cancer journey are, are so difficult. So how do you feel most aligned body, mind, and heart? Um, that's my goal. 
but thank you so yeah. much. This has been such a great conversation. Yeah. I, I mean, I loved it as well. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just, there was one lady that I interviewed um, a couple of months ago, probably more now. And she said to me, one thing you got to remember is your body is not trying to kill you. Yes. And I thought, wow, I thought, wow, that is, and you know, I thought that is so profound because it's yeah. true. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the first thing we think of is, oh, we're going to die. Like my surgeon always says, when I asked my surgeon, I even had my surgeon on my podcast mm-hmm. and I said to her, you know, I said, do people, I didn't ask her this question, I don't think on the podcast, but one of the things was, you know, so do you tell people if they're going to die? And she says, you know what, Grace, I get people ask me all the time and all I can say is, I don't know. You can yeah. walk out here and get hit by a tram, get hit by yes. a car. I yeah. can't tell you. So, and I thought that is the best. Don't make it a contract. Whatever yeah. you've been diagnosed with, don't make it a contract. Yeah, It doesn't, like we're saying, stage one, stage four, don't make a contract. Live your life to the fullest. I believe we're on the same page when we say no matter what happens, in a hundred years, whenever it is where we check out, we go, you know what? I was able to change it around, do it my way. I'm good to go. Thank you so much. Um, And having said all of that, thank you again, Junie. I will have all your details in the links below. Um, You can, uh, you know, follow Junie at Junie Be Well or Junie Boucher. Boucher. Boucher, that's right, (laughs) NTP at her Facebook. But I'll also have all your other links of your website as well so people can, um, you know, reach out. I am sure that Junie is more than willing to answer any questions you might have um, and help you on your journey like we're always here to help us. So thank you again. And for everyone else, thank you for listening and watching. And like always, I send you so much love and light. Thank you so much for joining me. I know you could have chosen any other show to spend your time with today. And I'm really grateful and humble that you've chosen me instead. And I hope I've been able to serve you in any way. You know, I hope this will become your go-to place to help you heal, feel supported and discover yourself along your hero's journey. And if this episode helped you today, please subscribe and share it with someone you know that would benefit from this. As I've learned about my hero's journey through breast cancer, nothing we receive is for us to keep but to be shared and I hope I can serve you further by sharing some of the tools I've learned along the way and it's hard for me to share it all in one simple episode so if you go to www.theangelsofgrace.me forward slash resources right now you can find a collection of tools that might be exactly what you need to take you on your hero's journey And given that I don't know if you're listening to this podcast at the start, the middle or the end of the day, I want to wish you an amazing morning, an amazing afternoon or an amazing evening. I am Grace DeAngeli and you listen to the Breast Cancer Heroes Journey podcast. Thanks again for being here. Much love and light.